0: We have got, uh, we're going to pick back up in our message series. We're two two messages in this, which is called More Than Conquerors. So last week we were in Joshua chapter 10, verses 29 through 32. And in that message, uh, More Than Conquerors part one, we were looking at the transition that was taking place where we saw the Israelites literally getting back on that course of success. They had had some faltering times, but now they've, they've got themselves set on course that God had for them, which was to conquer their promised land. This is what he told them back in John in Joshua chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. He says, Only be thou strong and a very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law, which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then... Thou shalt have good success. And it was in the way that this transition back was happening uh, that we saw their prosperity and we saw their their good success. And this was directing us to something. First of all, it directed us to take note of the fact that they were unified in their fight, they were unified in their fight and it was their unity of faith that allowed them to function as one because what happened was they trusted the words of Joshua, Joshua had imparted to them truth of what was coming and they trusted his word and it was their faith in his word that allowed them to be unified and what you've got to realize, the Hebrew rendering of Joshua, that's the Hebrew rendering of the name Jesus so Jesus, literally we could say that Jesus' words unified the people so guess what? God's words, Jesus' words, are supposed to unify us. We allow this uh, aspect of uh, correlating this truth of what took place for them to us. And what's the word of God supposed to do? It's supposed to unite us and make us one. Philippians chapter 2, verse 2 says this, "...fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind." So we go, okay, well, what is that one accord? What is that one mind? We go down to verse number five. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us in John 1, 1, that the word was made flesh and dwelled among us in verse number 14. Jesus is the word. The thing that unites us and unifies us is the word. So there was the unity. Then we saw that they were strengthened by the Lord. Instead of relying on themselves as they have recently done, Once again, they are now set their hearts on trusting God. And now he's bringing victory. It was through it was through their humility and it was through their dependence upon God that we saw him do this. This is how God delivered their enemies, because the fact is he requested that they remember, we just saw it in Joshua one. If you will not defer from the law, if you will do what I tell you, follow my word, guess what? I will bring victory. And we saw this pattern of humility. This pattern of dependence is important for you and I. Because if we're going to have spiritual victories in our lives, it will be by way of humility before God and dependence upon God. It is his power that will bring the victory. But we also took note of last time was the fact that even though God was the one bringing the victory, the Israelites were still on the battlefield. They were still in their place where they were supposed to be. They were there with sword in hand. And this brought us to to the third point, which was proficient. They were proficient with the sword. Because even though, I said, even though as God delivered their enemies and he directed the battle, they still physically took their swords and dealt with the enemy. And we looked at their physical use of the sword and their proficiency with the sword, and we compared that to our spiritual sword. Because remember, we're in a war too. We're in a spiritual war. We're facing off against spiritual enemies. And God's given us a spiritual sword. And our fight, our our war is not for our souls. It's for the souls of men. Recognize our life is supposed to make a difference in the world. It's supposed to reach the world. That was the great commission that Jesus gave us. We're supposed to go into all the world and preach the gospel. We're supposed to reach this broken world. And the way we do that is through proficiency of the weapon that God has given us. We must be proficient. We must be able to wield God's word. That's why being in church is an important thing. That's why discipleship is an important thing. That's why your own personal studies are an important thing. 2 Timothy 2.15 exhorts us. It says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Study, that's a word some people are like, yee, study, ah. It also has work in there. It's like, ah, work too, yay, yeah, yay, yeah, yay, yeah, yay, yeah. right? <laughs> study to show thyself approved. A workman. That needeth not to be ashamed, because you know what? There are people that you know if you confront them in the Word of God, you could twist them every which way believe. So, Jehovah's Witness comes and knocks on your door, and five minutes into it, you're like, I don't know what's going on, man. We're uh, we ten ways to Tuesday. I don't know what's going on. I can't. But you know what? If they come and you know the Word of God, you can direct them and point to them what's error. And you know what they'll do? They'll leave. Amen. Nine out of ten times, they don't want to stay and have that conversation, because as soon as you start to use the Word of God and truly show what it says, they're like, you know what? I appreciate your time. I'm gonna just step away and uh, you know roll on out because they're waiting for those that are not proficient. So we see the importance of us being proficient to reach the world, but also to stand against wickedness. So we saw that course of victory established. And the last thing we noticed was their consistency and their obedience. They were consistent. We saw noticed here as it was here that we took note of a subtle lesson that God was teaching. He was shifting them from encouraging them from their past successes, because he kept referencing back to Jericho, do what you used to do. Do what you used to do. Do what you used to do. Now what we saw is this subtle shift where he said, you know what? Now just do what you're currently doing. What happens is they've gotten on course. They're doing the right thing. He says, now just keep doing what you're doing right now. Don't look back to the past because right now what you're doing, just keep on rolling. Keep on doing it. You guys are on course for victory. And so taking that into account and understanding that, what we're going to do today is we're going to look at, uh, at really the next five battles That they're going to face. So, as we advance with them on this path, we're going to see as they travel this treacherous path in their promised land for the glory of God, we're going to see that they are going to be, first of all, sober and vigilant. We're going to see that they're going to be relentless. We're going to see that they're going to be tireless. And we're also going to see that as they move forward, they're going to be trusting God's guidance. And our message this morning entitled More Than Conquerors, Part Two. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you, Lord, for your word. God, you know, I've prayed, I have read, I have studied, uh, I have put in the work, and uh, God, I pray that you just help me to get out of the way. I do not want to get in the way of your truth. Uh, Lord, I pray and I trust that you have spoken to me, and I'm asking now that you would speak through me. uh, Lord, that the human element of this message, the potential for me to mess things up, God, that you would remove it, and Lord, that you would just simply uh, speak to us uh, through your spirit, uh, Father, that we might receive what you'd have for us. Lord, help us to be challenged, to be better to be more than conquerors in our own lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Joshua chapter 10, verses 33 through 39. Six verses today. Actually, seven nights. Here we go. Then Horam, Horam or Horam, I don't know what his name is, king of Gezer came up to, uh, to help Lachish, and Joshua smote him and his people until he had left him none remaining. And from Lachish, Joshua passed unto Eglon and all Israel with him, and they encamped against it and fought against it. And they took it on that day and smote it with the edge of the sword and all the souls that were therein. He utterly destroyed that day according to all that he had done to Lachish. And Joshua went up from Eglon and all Israel with him unto Hebron and they fought against it. And they took it and smote it with the edge of the sword and the king thereof and all the cities thereof and all the souls that were therein he left none remaining according to all that he had done to Eglon but destroying it utterly and all the souls that were therein. And Joshua returned and all Israel with him to Debir, and fought against it. And he took it and the king thereof and all the cities thereof and they smote them with the edge of the sword and utterly destroyed all the souls that were therein. He left none remaining as he had done to Hebron. So he did to Debir and to the king thereof as he had done also to Libna. And to her king. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I first read that, I was like, okie dokie, what am I supposed to get from that, right? Just sounds like the same kind of, it's almost repetitive sort of a pattern in there. It's just like, what is there really to be seen? But what's really cool, there's a lot of subtle things taking place, and we're going to see them this morning. So it's important to remember, first of all, as we study this ancient campaign, military campaign, To conquer their promised land, which for them was Canaan, we are seeking strategies and we're seeking tactics that you and I can use in taking our promised land. Now, our promised land is a place of peace with God, a place where we stand with God in fellowship with him. So as we get back on track with Joshua and the Israelites at this point, we can see that they are walking in lockstep with God. They are right on course. They are going into occupied territory and they're doing so exactly as God instructed them to do it. They are going forward by faith. And as a result of that, what's cool is they are invincible. They are invincible because they are simply doing it the way God told them. Remember back in chapter number 1, Joshua, Joshua 1, 1.5, God said this, There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Now he qualified after that and said, as long as you're faithful, guess what? You're going to see me being faithful. You guys get on track and guess what? You will be unbeatable. You will be Invincible. So at this point, we can see that God's people are not only believing God's promise, but they are boldly acting upon it. They are living their lives doing this. But what's interesting is just as they've wrapped up this defeat over Lachish, Joshua and his army are preparing to head southwest to that city, which is called Eglon. But before they can even get mobilized, before they even start moving, we see that a new enemy is approaching. Now, they're still at Lachish, but Lachish has just fallen. And so what we'll see as this morning is their ability to pivot, their ability to respond on a dime and turn and deal with this enemy reveals to us our first point, which is the fact that they are sober and vigilant. Verse 33 says, Then Horam, king of Gezer, came up to help Lashish, and Joshua smote him and his people until he had left him none remaining. Now keep in mind, verse 32 told us that they had just defeated the, the city of Latius. They have just finished waging war on them. Interestingly enough, Lachish translates as invincible. Interestingly enough. Obviously, that's not the case. But what that tells us is that they weren't, it wasn't, they weren't pushovers, right? That was probably a pretty tough battle. That was a, a tough city. So what we find is the fact that, you know, and one thing I want to point out is the fact that there are people I know that you feel like in your life that you just, they seem invincible to the, to the gospel, it just seems like, you know, it's like water off a duck's back. You know, I pray for them, I, I talk to them, and it just doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't go anywhere. But can I just tell you, there is no one that God cannot reach. Some people sitting in this room are probably those people that your friends were like, God's never going to break through to that one. Good night. Talk about hard. Wow. Yet, I'm just telling you, let be encouraged. God can break through to to anyone. Though it is translated invincible, it obviously falls. Verse 33 tells us that Joshua and his army did not have time to listen. They're not grabbing a hot meal. They're not sitting down and taking a rest, because right on the heels of the battle they have just fought, here comes Horam. And here comes the entire army of Geezer marching on top of them. Not only were the Israelites, would they have been tired at this point in time, but realistically we can think that they would have probably been unprepared. if 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 we were there probably what would happen is we would think about it this way. Consider you've been fighting, 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 fighting. And the last guy at Lechish falls. And everybody goes, yeah, we got it, yeah. What do most of us do? Whoo, man, somebody, let's get this stuff off quick, right? Man, I'm tired. Immediately, we would be stopping and say, you know what? We need to take a little break. But what we find is that's not the case for them. They do not let down their guard. Even though the adrenaline stopped pumping and their muscles have relaxed, this moment they do not stop. They literally continue to move forward. This whole thing is Joshua and his men are going to turn, they're going to pivot, and they're going to come against this, this, this army. Notice verse 33 says, And Joshua smote him and his people, they don't miss a beat, smote him and his people until he had left none remaining. The Israelites simply shift their attention to the army of Gezer because you know what they understand? They don't drop their guard because they know they're always in danger. They know that as long as Canaan has not been conquered, they are perpetually in a state of danger. We need to all hear that. Until we have got conquered our promised land through dependence and reliance on God, we are always vulnerable. Always, always always vulnerable. And so we got to realize the, fact, and the reason why they're not caught off guard is because they realize the danger that lies ahead. And this lesson for us is so important. Because you know what most of us do? We go through our lives oblivious to the spiritual dangers that are around us every day. We go through life just clueless, focused on simp- simp- silly things that don't mean anything, We forget about the spiritual battle that we're in and we just walk haphazardly through life hoping everything's going to go okay. And thank God for his blessing and protection over us being the knuckleheads that we are. I mean, we're the person who's, you know, got gold chains hanging on our neck walking down a dark alleyway by ourselves going, I got a bunch of money in my pocket. (laughs) And God's like, oh boy. No, I'm going to just protect you from yourself. We we literally walk into situations that we don't even think about the danger that we're in. There is a spiritual battle and there are enemies that are hunting us every single day. And it's their immediate recognition of this enemy and their ability to turn and fight it that points us to our verse that we're going to focus on, which is 1 Peter 5.8. Because what this is, Peter's writing to the church, okay? Notice the wording here. He says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Now, understanding our enemy and recognizing this, listen, the enemy does not take a day off. Notice what it says about him. We need to be sober and be vigilant because this is the reason why you need to be your adversary, the devil. As a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Peter's telling us that we must always be ready for battle. He's telling us, you know what? We need to keep ourselves in the military. They say, stay frosty. That means you stay aware. Your head is on a swivel. You're paying attention. How do we do this? This means that you and I, there's three things we need to continually do. First thing we need to do, stay dependent upon God stay dependent upon God every single day. We do this through our prayer life, right? We're opening ourselves to God. We're staying humble before Him. We're talking to Him. We're communicating with Him the way that we live our lives, a place of dependence. Second, we feed on His Word every day. 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved. Man, are we studying? Are we working? Are we putting in the time and energy and effort? What happens to a lot of Christians is they go to church and they'll say, hey, pastor, would you study and work all week? And then would you just give me what I need when you're going to want to get there? That'd be great. That's like somebody, you know, that's like a, that's like a, like a bird, uh, a baby bird waiting for the mother to consume the food and then spit it into the baby's mouth, right? That's disgusting. I don't know why I gave that example. I apologize. <laughs> As I'm visualizing that, that's a horrible example. Uh, uh, my mother eating food and then giving milk to the baby. That's a much better example, right? So what happens if you take that baby and you lay that baby on a table with all the food in the world, that baby will starve to death with a bazillion calories all around them. They will starve to death because they can't consume it. And why does the Bible reference itself as milk? Because you know what? When we're first born, we first come to Christ, we need somebody that can consume that nourishment spiritually and turn around and give it to us in milk. But eventually what we need to do is get off the milk. Unfortunately, we live in a country where most adults, Christians, are coming in the door and as they walk into church, they're going, here's your bottle. Right? Right? And they go home and all week long their Bible sits on the shelf. They don't do anything. They all love God, love God, love God, love God. But they don't know his word. They don't know how to consume God's word. They're going to go back and you know what? They're going to ask mommy to give them some more milk on Sunday. Our goal is to get you guys on the meat of the word of God because this is what makes us grow. And when we're in a battle, man, you need to be fortified. It's not a time to be a baby. So what we see here is the last thing. We live a righteous and a holy life. What this means is we set ourselves apart from the way the world looks, the way the world sounds, the things the world does. We don't do those things. We set ourselves apart, not for the sake that we're better than them, but we want to be, we're saying, listen, I'm going to honor God with my life. People that don't know how to honor God, guess what? They're going to honor themselves. What this shows us, and understand, it's, that, it's these three different things, this aspects of surrender and continual connection with God and, and righteousness. This is what enables Joshua and his men to turn so quickly and respond. Because they never put their swords down. They never slipped their shield off their hand and laid it on the ground. They maintained themselves prepared. They didn't say, you know what? Time for a little, I need a little me time. We've been working hard. You know what? I just need to go sit on a tree and just, you know, just meditate for a little while. Get myself, you know, all relaxed. No. They remained sober and vigilant. Because, listen, if they were all laying down, taking a nap, they would have been wiped out by the army of geezer. But because their head was on a swivel and they were prepared, as soon as that army showed up, though they had just fought a battle, they literally turned and wiped that army out as well. They did exactly what God intended for them. And so we, God's telling us, listen, we need to remain somber and vigilant and armored up. You know why they did that? Because they understood their enemy. They understood the danger that they were in. Just like we understand our enemy, First Peter tells us. He says, what is he? As a roaring lion, not a kitten, not a sweet kitty cat, a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. This is a warning to the church, not to the lost world. This is for us because you know what it's telling us? He's always on the hunt. Always, always on the hunt. But even though we know this, and even though we've been told this, sadly, me time is what most people live for. Man, if I could just find some me time, man, I need it now. Because you know what? I just need to refocus myself. And it's not until we get it through our thick heads that this life is not about us. The world tells us that it is. The distraction is, you know what? That's what you need. You need to give yourself some time. You need to focus on you. You need to focus on making sure that you have all that you need because you know what? The world revolves around you, and we live in a culture that believes that to be true, but that is as far from the truth as we can possibly get because you know what this life is supposed to be about? It's about God getting glory through the life that we live. The fact that the reason why we're on this earth is not so that we can get and gain. It's so that we can live our lives but even receive glory. And you see, if this is our focus, if that's what our heart is, we're saying, you know what? I'm going to live for God's glory. Then just like these Israelites, we won't be surprised and taken off guard when evil shows up. Because I can promise you, it is going to show up. It's going to find a way into your life through every which way it possibly can. The devil is circling, looking for a weakness and he is waiting to pray. But you see, the next thing that we notice about the Israelites is that they're relentless. They're relentless. Verse 34 says this, And from Lachish, Joshua passed unto Eglon, and all these were with him, and they encamped against it and fought against it. And they took it on that day and smote it with the edge of the sword, and all the souls that were there, and he utterly destroyed that day, and according to all that he had done to Lachish. And so the pattern continues as God's army being led by Joshua goes from one battle to the next. And I want you to keep in mind that on that miraculous day that we studied three messages back, on that miraculous day where God extended the day and doubled the length of the day, he did that so they could chase down their enemies. Now, not only were they fighting five armies during that time period that God gave them, but I want you to realize that when you figure it out, they went about 30 miles. Can you imagine fighting for 30 miles while you're chasing men? running an entire day as God extended the day for them. So this is a long haul that they have gone. So they've gone 30 miles to, Ma- to Makedah. Then they turned around and they marched 8 miles back west to fight at Libna. Now they've marched 5 miles south to Lachish, where they fought two battles because that's where Hamor show, or Horem show up. So they fought two battles there. And now they've marched an additional 5 miles southwest to Eglon. And did you notice that when they arrive... They immediately get to take in the city. There is no rest day. It says that they took it on that day and smote it with the edge of the sword and all the souls that were therein, he utterly destroyed that day according to all that he had done to Lachish. And what he's telling us, God's telling us is how do we deal with the issues of our life, these worldly influences in our lives, the things that want to grab our hearts, the things that want to to draw us away from God. Whether it's a person, whether it's a, an addiction, whether it's a, a frustration, whether it's a bitterness, whether it's a, a situation, whatever it may be. We must be relentless in our efforts to seek and destroy their influence. This is so important. This means that we deal with them today instead of tomorrow. When they arrived, they dealt with it right on the spot. And you know what the devil's one of the most successful lies that the devil uses every single day? You've got tomorrow. I know you can deal with it today, but don't worry. You've got tomorrow. And by way of procrastination, the devil keeps a foothold in people's lives. Because you know what? I'm going to deal with it. Don't worry about that. I'm going to deal with it. Just not today. But what does the Bible tell us about tomorrow? Well, amen. Proverbs 27, 1. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring. James 4, verses 13 and 14. Go to now ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor, listen, that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. It looks real. It looks like you could reach out and touch it. Man, I can almost see tomorrow. But guess what? When you put your hand out, it's just a vapor. It's not there and when it comes to dealing with our sin and the sin in our lives more often than not we have a lackadaisical attitude about dealing with things that we need to we put them off and this is not the solution instead of relentlessly dealing with them today listen the lord's warning this is when when god when christ is literally this is by way of paul he's speaking about what jesus is saying and i want you to hear he's talking about people that are considering their eternity People that are right on the cusp of receiving the gift of salvation. And listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians 6, 2. For he saith, speaking of Christ, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and the day of salvation have secured thee help. He says, listen, I have given you an opportunity to receive Christ. Here's your opportunity. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Today. He's telling us to deal with our sin today, to be relentless in our search for evil in our lives, the things that are hiding in our lives. But see, there's also something else being taught here. Did you notice that icon that I told you about before? That day. Did you notice in verse 35 that it shows up twice? And they took it on that day and smote it with the edge of the sword and all the souls that were therein, therein he utterly destroyed that day according to all that he'd done to Lachish. And what's interesting, that Concept, that, that phrase, that day, is always pointing to the second coming of Christ. It's always pointing to God's return. So, interestingly enough, this is when, if we look at this, this is where, listen, understand, God is going to, let me read the verse again. And they took it that day, and on that day, smote it with the edge of the sword, and all the souls that were therein, he utterly destroyed that day, according to all that they had done to Laetius. God is pointing us to his second coming, where it just so happens that he is going to come and he is going to bring destruction upon a people by way of a sword that have defied him, that have served the God of this world. Revelation 19, 21 says this, and the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse. That's the one that says the king of king and Lord of lords, which, which sword proceeded out of his mouth and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. He utterly destroyed them. And interestingly enough, right? interestingly enough, as we look at that that day, here it is, that destruction against this people, this people. What you'll also find out is, you know what, as he's pointing to this, he's also pointing to his second coming because you know what's very interesting about that term of Eglon, that city of Eglon? You know what it translates? Calf-like. Calf-like. He's bringing destruction on those that worship a calf instead of God. Do you remember the picture of the, at the bottom of Mount Sinai when they were going to create a replacement for God? Do you remember what it just happened to look like? It was a golden calf. And so what we see in this example is the fact that not only is God pointing to that As Joshua brings destruction upon Eglon, yes, he is pointing us to what happened historically. He's also showing us, hey, you know what? You need to deal with your sin. You need to deal with it today. But he's also pointing to the ultimate destruction that God is going to bring upon this world because of its defiance of him. And so next we see they've been, first of all, sober and vigilant. They've been relentless. Next we'll see that they have uh, advanced into the promised land being tireless. You guys with me? All right. I know we're covering a lot, but just hang with me. We got this. 36 and 37. And Joshua went up from Eglon and all Israel with him unto Hebron, and they fought against it. And they took it and smote it with the edge of the sword and the king thereof and all the cities thereof and all the souls that were therein. He left none remaining according all that he had done to Eglon, but destroyed it utterly and all the souls that were therein. Joshua and Israelites are just keeping, they just keep advancing. They're moving as a united force from one hostile target to the next. Because you know what? They understand the objective. It's not just to deal with the big threats. It's to deal with every single one of them. And this requires diligence. This requires diligence, an unwavering commitment to accomplishing God's will. Joshua and his men, listen, they are resolute in accomplishing and desire to do what God commanded them to do. For you see, it is God's will that they would possess their promised land. That's what he told them. To do That they would go into a place where they would battle and fight and they would bring peace into their promised land. And did you know that's what God intends for you and I as believers? That we're supposed to have peace in our promised land. The Bible says the peace of God which passeth all understanding. Right? It says it will keep your hearts and minds because where do we turmoil? So much rolls around in our lives. Man, it's our hearts and minds. That's where our battle is. So not that we have partial peace but that we'll have total peace in our walk with God. Listen to this in Isaiah 26.3. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusted in thee. Let me read it one more time. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. In our walk with God, in our battles against our flesh, and the wicked influences that are trying to work their way into our lives, are we really trusting God? as we need to. Listen to what it says. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. What allows Joshua and his men to be so committed and tireless in their battle against evil is their trust in God and his objective for them. They know what he has in store. John 14 verse 23 says this, Jesus answered, saith unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. Listen, the very same thing that Joshua was supposed to do. Keep the word of God. Do exactly what God says. "If, If a man love me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and I will come unto him and make our abode with him. Listen, we will function as one. We will love what God loves, and we will hate what God hates. How beautiful is this? Listen to 26 and 27. John 14. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Listen, God does not want us living in fear. God does not want us continually struggling with sinfulness. That's not what he has for us. His desire for us is exactly what it was for the Israelites. That we would not only possess our promised land, but that we would live there in peace. How beautiful. And the wonderful thing, the byproduct of living in the promised land and living in peace, guess Is a lack of fear. Notice what it says, verse 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, giveth give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled neither let it be afraid. Fear, fear, fear. And the way to remove fear from our lives is to live by faith. If we know God holds tomorrow, then why are we fearful of tomorrow? Because we don't trust God. But what if God does this? What if God does this? What if God does? Listen, just because it doesn't meet our agenda doesn't mean it's not what should happen. We can all look back at our life and tragedies have taken place and we can see how God worked through the tragedy. We can make a laundry list of all the horrible things that have happened to us. And you know what? If when we finally have a heavenly perspective, we'll go, wow. You know, Romans chapter 5, verse like, 3 through 3, 3 and 4 it says, Tribulation, work with patience. Patience, experience. Experience hope, right? Tribulation gets you to hope, but you've got to go through. Tribulation, then patience. Willingness to trust God in the midst of tribulation, going, you know what, God, I don't like this, I don't want this, I don't want, but you know what, I'm just gonna, just gonna, I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna patiently wait. And then once we wait, guess what? We get experience that God can be trusted. And then once you get that experience of God can be trusted, guess what? Hope. Just on the corner, there's hope. Because now when I face tribulation, I know that the gateway of tribulation is the gateway to hope. I can have hope, I can have joy in the midst of struggles. And Joshua and his men are tirelessly and relentlessly confronting wickedness in order to finally bring peace to their promised land. They are battling every day. And it's with the same courage, faith, and determination that we must confront the sins in our lives. Little or big, whichever ones they are, they must be utterly destroyed through the power of God. Now, the comforter that lives within us, guess what he will do? He will direct us. He will instruct us. He will empower us to destroy these things through the power of God, to be victorious over our flesh. We see the victory is finally attained. When it's finally attained, what's so awesome as it becomes evident in the life of a person who has victory? It starts to be able to be seen because you know what? The traits of God show up in the way they live their life. How many of you have ever been around somebody like that? Man, just something about it. You're like, man, I just like being around them. <laughs> Whew, feels good. Feels good, man. I have a few people in my life, man, that are like that. And it's just like, wow, how wonderful it is just to feel what emanates from that individual. And see, Jesus gave us a truth in Matthew 7, verse 20. He says, wherefore by their fruits, ye shall know them. Right? What it's saying is this. People's lives give evidence of their spiritual walk. And someone, listen, who has conquered their promised land through dealing with their sinfulness, through surrendering to God's Spirit, guess what they do? They display His fruit. Right? The fruit of the Spirit. Which Galatians 5, verse 22-23 tell us what it is. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. These are the traits... So in that person that you're around, when you spend time around them, you see love, you see joy, you see peace, you see long-suffering. Long-suffering is is patience with humanity. That's one, boy, we all need that one. (laughs) Gentleness, right? Goodness. We see faith. We see meekness, right? That's strength under power. And we see temperance. You know what that is? Self-control. And you spend time around that person, you're like, wow, would you look at that? They're just so different than the people in this world. And you see, to get to this place, to get to that position, is, you must be tireless. We must be tireless in our pursuit of those things that are evil or wicked in our lives. And we might think, well, gosh, you know, how do I identify everything in my life? I mean, how do I, how do, I do that? Well, see, David struggled with the same thing. In Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, we hear David, as he wraps up that, that, that psalm, he wraps it up this way. He says this, "'Search me, O God.'" and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Remember what it said? Keeps our hearts and minds. David's saying, hey, my heart and my mind. Lord, would you search them out? Would you help me in my heart, my intentions, my desires? Would you check my thoughts, my intentions, my my ideas? Verse 24, and see if there be any wicked way in me. Because just in case I can't see it, Lord, would you show it to me? Would you help it to be evident to me? Why? And lead me in the way everlasting. Help me, Lord, to be the man that you created me to be. But you know what? Because what happens is for a lot of us, sometimes we're blind to our own sin. We don't even realize that we have it in our lives. You know why? Because we become so accustomed to it. It's just kind of who we are. And what David is saying is, listen, Lord, if you'll show it to me, help me to see it the way you see it. Help me to see my sin the way that you see see my sin. Then, Lord, help me not only to deal with it, but help me, Lord, to address it the way you'd have me to address it. No matter how inconvenient, no matter how uncomfortable it might be. And this is difficult for us. Understand, this leads us to our last point, which is this. As they advanced in the promised land, they did it trusting God's guidance. And this is interesting. Verse 38 and 39. And Joshua returned and all Israel with him to Debir and fought against it. And he took it and the king thereof and all the cities thereof and they smote it with the edge of the sword and utterly destroyed all the souls that were therein. He left none remaining as he had done to Hebron and so he did to Debir and to the king thereof as he had done also to Libna and to her king. So after journeying, now understand if you calculate this out, close to 60 miles that they have traveled at this point. On foot, by the way, carrying weapons, carrying gear, and fighting the whole way. So they have battled their way across Canaan. Now they found themselves at Hebron. Hebron is southeast, way on this side of Canaan. And now what's happening is God's saying, hey, I want you to march back eight miles the way you just came to Debir. Did you notice what it said there when it says, and Joshua returned and all Israel with him to Debir. Because you know what? They marched right past Debir. And they went all the way to Hebron. And when they got to Hebron and they did that and they fought that battle. And then God says, okay, now go right back the way you just came. Mm-hmm. Now, I know if most of us were in that army, you know, what we see with them is they just do it, right? Just like they were at Jericho, right? God says, hey, you're in a circled city seven times. No one complains. And he says, don't even talk to each other. Just do it. And they're, okay, we're just going to do it. And here, nobody complains. They just line up and start marching back. Eight miles, they just came. But I think if you and I were in that crowd, <laughs> and we're like, did we just want, what, didn't that the city we want? That was a long time ago, dude. Why are we going back? Because we're going, okay. All right? Would that not be the attitude we would have? Yeah. Like this doesn't make any sense. I don't agree with your plan, God. I think we should have done it this way, Debir, then Hebron, and then go to Gilgal, because it'll all just be one loop. We'll be able to take care of it this way. But that's not their attitude. They trust God's guidance. They do it his way. Like listen, I can tell you. What happens so many times in our Christian lives is the fact that we're frustrated because God forbid, God forbid that our service to God would make us uncomfortable. God forbid it would be inconvenient to us to do something for the Lord. You know what God, I'm giving you a, I'm giving you my Sunday. Well, I'm giving you an hour of my Sunday. But I'm still giving you my Sunday, part of it, an hour of it. I drove here for goodness sakes. <laughs> Isn't that the attitude of the modern Christian? Yeah. If they show up to church, they're like, you know, man, you should be patting me on the back, bro. Because I could be in my pajamas, just so you know. And this is online. I could even catch it up and be like, I could justify everything I'm doing. Right? I'm not slamming you guys, sorry, online. <laughs> not at all. But I'm just saying, the mindset of being inconvenienced for our, for our faith is something that just seems so out of, out of character for us. Because many times our attitude is just, you know, God, I'll agree with your plan. Uh, I'll do what you want me to do as long as I agree with the plan. And also as long as it doesn't make me too uncomfortable because you know what I want, what I want. And what can I tell you this? In our Christian life, if our Christian life is comfortable and if we are good with where we are in our holiness and our relationship with God, we feel like, hey, you know what? I feel like I've done all I can do. I'm good with God. I'm holy. Can I tell you that we're not serving God? We're serving ourselves. We are comparing ourselves to our brother or our sister. And we're saying I'm more holy than they are. So for that sake... I'm good. But what did the gods say? Be holy as your neighbor is holy. As I am holy. Sanctified. Physically, right? The things we put into our body. The things that we say. The life that we live. The things we expose ourselves to. Be holy as I am. As I am holy. See, the only way to conquer our promised land and experience the peace of God is to be willing to do what is inconvenient, to be willing to be uncomfortable, to be willing to do those things that we would not want to do. Experiencing the peace of God, to experience conquering our promised land. Listen, it takes doing things that are uncomfortable, like looking within our own hearts, searching ourselves. For those things that would not be pleasing to God. And not only recognizing them and seeing them, but dealing with them. Joshua didn't say, I know there's a city that's a threat there, but you know what? They're small, so let's not worry about it. No, they went from city to city to city and utterly destroyed it. They dealt with it because they said, you know what? We cannot allow anything to be left. In our Christian lives, we have all this stuff. We've got nooks and crannies, crammed full of things that are not pleasing to God, and we just ignore them. But listen, we're not promised tomorrow. What if he stood before God today? What if he raptured out of here today? And I went from standing here to standing before the Lord. I looked into his eyes and I saw the disappointment of it. The things I have failed him in so many ways. My heart's not been pure. I've not been the man of God that I should be. We all struggle every day. Good days and bad days. And the Bible says we're all going to stand before him to give an account of those things done in the body, both good and bad. Now, it's not for our salvation, but boy, it's for our service unto God. What are we doing for Him? How do we say thank you back to God? It's the way we live our lives. It's this. But because we're all focused on ourselves, then it's not about that. We lay up ourselves treasures on earth because it's all about us. And He says, no, 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 no. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust doth not corrupt, and where thieves don't bring nor to steal. That's where you've got to focus your attention. Because all the stuff that we collect on earth, guess what? It'll burn up with a fervent heat. It all just turns back into ashes and dust. But everything that's laid up there is eternal. And see, our focus is in the wrong place. Our focus is on our own satisfaction instead of pleasing God. And that's a heartbreaking thing. Because it isn't that we don't know better. We just choose not to listen. But you see, what we see with these Israelites is they are conquering their promised land. For us, it's peace with God. It's a beautiful relationship with God where we walk with Him in fellowship. And you see, we have to be willing to deal with those things in our lives, seen and unseen. The ones that nobody else sees. The things that only us and God know. If you see, the reason the Israelites are experiencing victory is because when it comes to destroying wickedness in their promised land, they have remained sober and vigilant. They have remained relentless. They have remained tireless. And moving forward, they have trusted God's guidance. If you're not in God's word, you can't be guided by God. This is where your directions will come from. You must, you must, you must spend time in his word. You're in a spiritual fight. And most people that are in the spiritual fight that they're in in America today are malnourished. They're spiritually destitute. They've had a little bit of milk on Sunday. but The rest of the week, they starve and they feed their flesh. TikTok and whatever else there is, Instagram and every other stupid thing there is that is out there. Things of the earth that are gonna burn up with the fervent heat that don't mean anything because we want to be entertained because we need me time. I just need to unwind and mindlessly stare at cats for nine hours straight, (laughs) whatever it may be. But listen, we can live a life of victory and experience God's peace If we'll do it his way, if we'll do it the Bible way, right? This is our weapon. This is our refuge. This is where we get the mind of Christ. This is how we learn how to live and walk and serve and wield our weapon against the enemy that's trying to destroy us and the people that we love. Learn the word. Be involved in the Bible, man. Be be regular church. Grow as much as you possibly can because we are not promised tomorrow. It appeareth for a short time and then vanisheth away. There are people that died this morning that thought they had tomorrow all over this planet. Who knows where we'll be? Joshua and his men have trusted and followed God without question. Will we do the same thing? Will we do the same thing? See, the peace that our life displays or the lack thereof will reveal the answer to that question. Let me say that one more time. The peace our life displays or the lack thereof will display and reflect the answer to that question. Will we trust God? Will we trust God? Matthew 7.20 Wherefore by their fruits ye shall know them. Do people look at our lives and see peace or do they see unrest? It says, it tells the whole story by their fruits. Ye shall know them. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for helping me just to get out of the way. Um, God, I thank you for being so good and so patient with us. God, I know that uh, I above all a knucklehead is the word I love to use. But I mean, man, I know that's me. I know many of us can identify with that. We just don't listen. God, would you please help us, Lord, have ears to hear. Help us to make the changes that you want us to make. Help us look within ourselves. And Lord, try to be conquerors through Christ, of this promised land that you've entrusted us with. We have peace available to us if we'll just surrender to you. So God, with our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, listen, uh, I'm having problems right now surrendering some stuff in my life have maybe some sin, maybe some bitterness, some stuff that's not pleasing to God in my life right now. And I know it. I've let it go too long, but I want to deal with it today. I want to pray for God to give you the strength to do just that. If it's you today, you say, listen, I've got some issues in my life, some things I need to struggle with. Pastor, would you pray for me that I can do this today, that I can deal with them? Amen. Just lift your hand up in the air. Amen, amen, amen. Lift it high in the air. Lift it high. Don't be bold. Be bold, be bold. Amen, amen, amen. And if you're here today and you say, listen, I don't know where I stand with God. There are plenty of religious people, I'm going to tell you right now, that are going to bust hell wide open. They will stand before him one day and try to convince him that they were saved. They'll say, "Lord, Lord, in Thy name did we not do? Did did, not, did we not uh, cast do many wonderful works and you know cast out demons? Did we not do all these things? Did we not, Lord, in Your name, in Your name, in Your name?" And He's going to turn to them and He's going to say, "Look, I never knew you, you workers of iniquity, religious people that never really gave their hearts to God, but lived religiously. That's not the answer. It's surrender." The Bible says, for of grace, you are saved through faith and the not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You will never work your way to heaven. You'll never be religious enough for heaven. You'll never be good enough for heaven. We are all wicked and we are all sinners and we all needed a savior. And when Christ went to that cross, he offered you an opportunity to receive the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And as he offers you that gift, if you've never personally received it, no one can pray for you to receive it. No one can force it upon you. Nobody can do it for you. It's your personal choice. If I offered you a gift until you receive it, it is not yours. Whether or not it has your name on it, whether or not you know everything about it, until it's in your hand and you've received it by choice, it is not yours. And if you have never by choice received the gift of God, then you don't have it. But can I tell you, it's offered to you today. Offered to you today. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a promise from God. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ, if you've never done that, if you're watching this online, watching it recorded, there's no ceremony involved. There's no magic prayer involved. This is a broken heart calling out to God who's ready, willing, and able to save you. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ as your Savior, I'm going to lead you in prayer. Again, it's not the words. It's your heart God's listening to. Repeat after me in your heart and mind. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm so sorry for my sins. I understand that there's a debt to be paid for the life I've lived. And I'm asking you right now, Lord, by faith from the cross, would you pay that debt for me with your perfect life? God, would you forgive me of my sins? Would you give me a home in heaven through your death, burial, and resurrection? I put my faith in you, and I receive you as my Savior. Thank you for receiving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.